Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager. Let's move the needle. Welcome to this episode of Moving the Needle. As we record this, we're approaching the Thanksgiving season, the second Thanksgiving of the COVID era. So it's a natural time for our thoughts to turn to our communities, their needs, and their strengths. Engaging with the community can add such richness to all aspects of university life. But as today's conversation reminds us, this engagement needs to be thoughtful, collaborative, and in a spirit of true partnership. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Dr. Lori Edwards, an assistant professor of family and community health in the School of Nursing at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Lori directs the Interprofessional Program for Academic Community Engagement, an initiative that's designed to develop, support, and expand educational curriculum and service learning and community experiential learning, to build community-engaged faculty scholarship and research, and to support professional development related to community engagement for faculty, staff, and students. On today's episode, we'll discuss the evolution of community engagement and service learning in higher education, and we'll explore what's involved in designing these kinds of learning experiences and talk about how rewarding they can be for students, faculty, and the community itself. Let's get to it. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Dr. Edwards, the first thing I was hoping you could do is um, break down some of the terminology for us, particularly the terms community engagement and service learning. You often hear those in tandem, but I think it would be very useful to understand them as discrete ideas. Historically, the concept of community engagement, which in this context means how academic institutions work in collaboration with communities, um, that that terminology and that concept came from, I think, in the 1940s, maybe sooner than that, um, around how academic institutions were developed with the concept of civic engagement so that university students would ultimately become civic, um, engaged in civic society so that they would, um, the institutions would facilitate students to learn so that they would commit to basically um, the greater good of society. So in the last, I don't know how many years now, but in the last several 20 plus more years, the terms community engagement have evolved for universities and academic institutions. Um, one of the founding documents around this is, um, or the institutions around this is the Carnegie um, classification around community engagement and Carnegie that definition specifically describes community engagement as this collaboration between institutes of higher learning and their larger communities. It could be local, it could be global, regional, et cetera. Um, and that the focus of that level of engagement is the mutually beneficial exchange of knowledge and resources, but specifically around partnerships and reciprocity. So those are two key concepts. How do these um, universities and academic institutions work in collaboration with communities for the mutual benefit of really both, um, but within the idea of partnership and reciprocity being a part of that. Um, service learning is a, 
I would consider this a methodology for how we do community engagement work. So service learning is a structured approach to facilitating student learning and a service learning course specifically honors the principles of community engagement and honors the principles of effective partnerships and honors the principles of student learning, but the student learning is focused on a deeper reflective learning. Some would call it like soulfulness, soulfulness learning so that there's a meaningful transformation in the learning experience. It's not just knowledge, but it's actual deeper transformational learning ultimately to facilitate students to be um, engaged in civic society and lifelong learning. Well, it's, it's so important to start with that. Uh, to ground us as we move forward, uh, thinking about this as an education topic. So I hear loud and clear uh, coming from you this idea of partnership and relationships. Can you describe for us how those partnerships might look between uh, university, their faculty, students, um, research, and the communities uh, around those universities? The opportunities for universities to improve or work towards improving the lives of people who reside surrounding the universities themselves, um, generally challenged communities on a variety of levels. The opportunities can vary in how the universities and the communities partner or engage in how collectively and collaboratively they work towards improving those communities. So it could vary in terms of the topic. So from an academic university standpoint, as universities go, they're involved with service, they're involved with education, and they're involved with research. And so the approach to partnership can vary, and there are different frameworks that have been developed over time within those various mechanisms. So one of the frameworks for community engagement around research is a now pretty well-renowned framework called community-based participatory research. So that framework means that a researcher would initially work with a community, the idea for the research in the best of circumstances would come from the community itself who has a research type question or a need to um, be addressed, say it's high rates of cancer. And so how would a researcher look at the community's perspective on that and look at um, ways to improve research around cancer um, predictors, for example. So it just depends upon the topic. So the framework for community-based participatory research means that there's um, mutuality in the research process. You include the community members in every step of the research endeavor. So from a research perspective, that's one way. Another way from a, from a um, service perspective, meaning there are particular programs or projects or ideas that a community may want to have um, conducted in a particular community, then you might bring on a particular person who has expertise in program development or program evaluation to participate in facilitating that program. Uh, from a university side, those service entities could include faculty, they could include students, they could include the university staff in the process of conducting service programs 
diaspora and with communities. The partnership process would mean that the community themselves would really identify what those priority areas are and then respond to that. One of the examples I often think about is how many communities often want health fairs done. That's a, that's a service. And the research and the evidence shows that health fairs don't make a big difference in community health outcomes. They're, they're screening opportunities for a lot of people in a community perhaps to get their blood pressure taken or some cancer screening done or some blood glucose screening completed. But the health fair itself in terms of impacting you know, major community health outcomes is pretty minimal. I often think of that endeavor as a way to build relationships with communities. Um, people from a healthcare entity or health professions may get to know people in the community. The community gets to know some of the health professionals. It's a networking building opportunity. And all of that to me is a way for communities to say, this is what we want. This is what we believe is an opportunity to get our healthcare needs met. And, and so I think that healthcare services continue to be provided in that respect because it's a way of a community saying, this is what we think we need. So let's just go forth and continue to support that. Um, the other side to like an academic institution is then obviously teaching and education. So, in real partnership process for academic institutions to facilitate student learning, there's the pedagogy of what to do that effectively is to engage in service learning. So the learning occurs where students are experiencing a service-related program or project and then the community experiences and the learning happens within a community setting. And then there's a whole pedagogy of how to make a service learning effective, but that's a different, another level of what it means to bring in community members in partnership with, with the learning experience. So again, the, uh, and a university is involved with research, um, service and also education. And you can build on those aspects in a variety of ways to create this mechanism of connecting with community members, community leaders, and community organizations in partnership. Um, well, I'm, I'm so glad you uh, grounded us in that bigger picture of uh, the, the idea of partnership with communities and thinking about all of the aspects of, of university life that can interface with, with those communities in partnership. Um, I'd love to, to continue on with this idea of service learning and talk about that for a little bit. Um, as we record this, it's almost Thanksgiving, so it tends to be a, a time of year when people are thinking about service and service projects. I'd just like to ground us in the terminology of service learning um, just by way of an example. So let's say that I'm a faculty member and um, I want my students to to go out and, and maybe work in a food bank or, or do a toy collection or something during during the holidays and we coordinate that as a class and uh, and make our deliveries. Would you call that service learning? What a great question. And I would say that if a group of individuals, students, faculty want to provide service in a community, it could be service learning if it includes a couple of things. The thing that I would want it to include most of all is that the community itself has asked for the process of having students participate. And secondly, 
any more importantly, the learning part of that is not just service, but it's the reflection of the experience that students have after the experience. And that reflection is critical. And that's why it's often called critical service learning, um, because the critical um, thinking, the critical reflection post a service experience allows the students to have a synthesis of what they actually learned. And and that can include many things. So um, there's an and there's a variety of strategies towards that. So for example, the simplest way I would have a group of students um, and come together with them after a reflection, I mean after a service experience, I would say, um, so what just happened and what did you learn from that? And then what I often like to do with students in that regard is even push that further. So not a simple learning, but a deeper learning. And that's the whole focus of service learning is how do we facilitate deeper learning? And that deeper transformational learning allows them to, I would say, learn on an affective level and and have a transformative personal experience in this that leads to lifelong learning or lifelong commitment to service. So it's clearly deeper than, uh, you know, than maybe a, a, a one-off activity or just something that's done and, and kind of left hanging out there. Could you maybe give us an example or walk us through what this experience might look like from a student's point of view? If I'm, if I'm, in a course where service learning is a one of the pedagogies of the course, what kinds of things am I experiencing as a student? In a course that's designed specifically for service learning, the first and foremost, not that students read course objectives, but the course objectives would actually state something along the lines of the intentionality of the service, what the service experience may lead to in terms of how much the community partner was involved with the design of the course itself. And then that critical reflection is going to be a part of what they learn in that course. So the objectives would clearly state that from a student perspective, reading the objectives, and often students do like to match the learning to the written objectives, which is our contract with students. So it would state that up front. Secondly, I would as a student, I would want to hear directly from the community members themselves that were involved in this. So whether it's a guest lecture, whether it's out in the community, that community partner participates in providing some of the teaching. Um, that to me is pretty important for the students to hear it, not from me as the faculty, or but really directly from the people that are part of the experience and the service. And then I think more importantly, if I was a student, what I would like to know is and hear and see is um, like, I don't want to, I want, well, I'm hoping students have said this, they, they want to see that there's like opportunities to continue to be involved sometimes. So it's not just a one-time experience. Um, they want to see how it relates to um, some of the questions that they may have around the the disparities that they experience. So it's from a student perspective, what I've heard a lot is they're often f left feeling a sense of um, like uncertainty about how to make a difference in all of this disparity that they see. So they, so I hear this a lot, like, oh my God, how can I possibly change this? How can I possibly make a difference? Because 
when they're in this learning experience, they want to, they want to get in and they want to fix things. And the truth is there's so much that's left hanging that you can't fix it all. But I, I, they, they often say, what can I do? What can I do? And so to provide for them an opportunity to determine one way they can make a difference, I think is important from a student perspective. So whatever that might be for each student, I think that's important. So I often will say, choose one area that you're particularly passionate about and continue to work towards changing that one topic area or one thing. Like I have a student right now who's really committed to improving um, women in the community and their breastfeeding practices. So if um, she can work on that in her career path, then that's something she feels she can tackle. So, um, and working in community agencies or places where that can happen and she can do that teaching that feels like something concrete she can wrap her head around as opposed to trying to improve all of Baltimore City and all the housing issues. It's like the concrete and and the contextual um, components. If you can provide that context for people, I think that gives them a direction to move into. Yeah, what I hear and what you're saying is the importance of anticipating students emotional response to some of this work and some of these experiences and and giving them a space to uh, reflect on that, explore some of those themes and feel empowered to to take on what they can take on. Yes, that's correct. And that the purpose of service learning is per se is not just that they're aware of the issues, but they're also aware of their own biases, their own ways of thinking that can possibly be um, transformed. Historically, what we have seen in many academic institutions is an, a, and continue to see as a growing awareness around the privilege and the power of academic institutions. And the narrative around that has really been expanding in, the, in recent years. And so the more students see um, their awareness around and have a growing and deeper understanding of their own bias, their own um, power and privilege, coming into this work, even if they don't have that background of power and privilege themselves in their lives, that being a part of an academic institution, that, that comes with it to some extent. So seeing those structural components and then personally experiencing that allows them to have a greater openness, come at this work with a greater sense of empathy. And I think that allows them to be in a more real space with people who are hurting and vulnerable and then work towards advocacy and changing either, either the systems themselves or their own ways to um, advocate within this. Recently, I had a student um, in a service learning course that I teach who wrote a pretty profound piece to say that she could now see she was in School of Dentistry, and she could now see that how the dental profession has its own ways of being um, biased, and her, this was her understanding of this, and that she really wanted to advocate to changing some of the um, professional um, aspects to the service of dentistry. And without having had that real life experience and encountering people in the community and really getting to know people in a different context, she wouldn't have had that inside perspective of the way she could see this needed to change. So, you know, each student comes at this from their own perspective, their own discipline, but whatever ways they grow in their understanding of um, how to 
personally transform themselves and then personally transform their discipline. I think that that's moves each institution forward in new ways and different ways. What a, what a powerful realization and a, and a powerful outcome for that student. Yeah. It's always exciting to hear a student feel transformed in that way. Yeah. Could we talk a little bit about some of the uh, boots on the ground, the logistics that, uh, faculty members need to consider to make these kind of experiences possible? Because, you know, I, I think about um, an initiative like this in the classroom, and I, th I think about the duck who looks very calm and collected on top of the water, uh, but whose feet are paddling furiously underneath it. And, and that's the image I'm bringing to mind for a faculty member who is coordinating all of this. Can can you talk a little bit about what's in what's involved before the class starts as they're facilitating these experiences and these reflections with the students, just what does that look like from a faculty's point of view? So I can give you a quick example, even of what happened this week alone. So I coordinate a program for um, faculty and staff fellows to grow in their knowledge and um, application of community engagement. And so one of the fellows from last year um, works at a community agency, a major West Baltimore um, entity focused on community engagement and community service. And so he has done significant work. He was a fellow in our program, and he has done significant work towards partnering with community members to design community space, specifically gardens. And so I wanted to bring the fellows who are engaged in this fellowship to the community garden to see the space. And so I made some plans to do this. But in order to do this, I had to meet first with the partner of this fellow, um, a community leader who has lived in this neighborhood since 1969, as he told me. And so... I had to meet with him prior to. So I met with him on Zoom. And the first question this gentleman asked me is, well, what, are we, what are you going to do for us? What are you going to do? How are you going to commit to this in the future? What can you do? And so he wasn't hostile in this. He was asking real honest questions. I've been in places where people are actually pretty hostile in those questions. And it's true. If we go visit someone, are we coming at this work from a voyeuristic perspective? Or are we coming at this from a truly open, willing to help perspective. And so this gentleman and this community fellow gave up their time a half a day to have a group of visitors come visit the space. And what did they get in exchange for it? I, I honestly, the first time when he asked me this question two days ago, I said, I don't know what we can do for you, but I can be open to see. But can I give anything in return? It requires time and energy and sometimes funding and and sometimes donating free time, etc. So it's a, it was a really tough question to be in that space. So it's a good example for me, and I really took it to heart, that meeting, where it was an uncomfortable conversation for to be asked, you're going to bring this group of people out and be reminded that they've had other groups of people come out, visitors from Japan, funding agencies to come out and look at this great, beautiful space that's been transformed in a very blighted community. 
And you see it, but what do you do with that experience? You see it. Is, is that voyeurism? Is it just sort of looking at something from afar and admiring it? But what does it take to really do the engagement work? And so now I'm left with personally the burden of what could we do? What could I do as a faculty member to perhaps do a health fair as he asked or find other networks to support their continued programs, find funding agencies. His vision is to put a Marriott in that neighborhood in West Baltimore and rebuild all of West Baltimore. And who could I know that could be a developer to take on West Baltimore? And so it means this continued passion towards making this happen. And also, even if it's a small endeavor, just to commit to doing that process. So he said to me very clearly, he said, even if you save one person's life, you know, or help one person in or one family, that would be enough. And I feel committed to exploring how a perhaps I could bring a group of students out to do a health fair in the spring or something like that. So what does that mean on my part as a faculty member? Well, I have to find a course where that fits in, or I have to get legal processes to facilitate a volunteer day because it all is about legal. I can't do, I can't bring a group of students out to any site without having legal permission through the university. If it, if it means being a part of a course, then I have to facilitate, um, the structure of what that looks like. I have to find the supplies to do a health fair. I have to find a group of students. I have to find volunteers. I mean, I've done this endless times, endless, endless health fairs, for example, or community screening events. But it just means all the background coordinating. So, um, and it means, you know, even the simplest thing of going on site, like how do you pick a day that you can do this and find a time where the weather is going to be good if it's an outdoor event or, I mean, it, the list goes on and just coordinating things that are outside the classroom experience. And, um, and ultimately, how do I bring on this gentleman to be a part of the teaching experience? Because he's the one with the wisdom. I'm, I'm the facilitator, but he's the wisdom. He's the lived experience. And so how do I bring on him to provide the education. Yesterday, when we finally did meet on site at the space um, and had this half-day experience with the other fellows, he was fantastic. He was very open. He was very receptive. I felt like I had a new friend. As a matter of fact, he kept saying, you are all now friends of Kirby Park. And he said, come back and be a part of these days and do whatever you can. And he was recognizing some of the limitations that we have. And he wasn't completely, um, you know, he wasn't feeling like we were just, quote, being there just for the day. He was open to saying, just come on back and, and open and receptive to seeing how this space can be transformed and and eager to share the journey that's occurred in this process. So um, so that's just, you know, one of many examples. It takes a lot of work and a lot of constant presence and a lot of constant being willing to be in uncomfortable spaces and conversations and a lot of facilitation. And um and it's just a lifelong commitment. It's not easy to do this work, but it's also it's also fun and it's engaging and it means having this opportunity to hear from real people in real time and see the blight and ex see the 
see the beauty at the same time. Literally in the middle of this beautiful park that's called the Serenity Park, there's there's this boarded up housing and and there's a dumping ground. So, um, and you know, it's it's this juxtaposition of of hope and and despair at the same time, and being able to be present to that is pretty profound. Yeah. And really what comes through in in this description and in this example, which thank you so much for sharing that, is the perspective that it would be really important for a faculty member to see this not as a means to an end for one course or one lesson, um, because I could imagine that the 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 need to build those relationships, the the work involved in uh, in exploring and and listening to the community really happens beyond the bounds of a semester or an academic year. And so it seems like par- part of what's so important is being flexible enough when you have those relationships and you have that that sense of community and that sense of partnership to know when when you can plug in a class to a particular uh, activity or or project. Great point. It's important to have that um, constant vigilance and awareness around what's relevant and appropriate and when you may not be able to do that on a given time period or given the community context. And a lot of times community agencies, for example, are really overburdened by um, service and also there can only be so many asks along the way. So it's important from a faculty side to continuously attempt at least to offer perspective to the community partners, community agencies, community leaders to say how we want to be able to be there to help, but, and, you know, to ask them to participate in the learning is important and, and facilitate student learning, but also hopefully guide how those projects and those services can be of support to them. And sometimes, you know, people say, sorry, I still can't do it. But, you know, I think in academic institutions, the one thing I've learned is students come and go. And if you can facilitate the community agencies to know that that's true, students will come and go and they have a relationship with some students and then they move on. That's a constant rotation. The strength of community academic partnerships and community engagement is that our faculty members there for the long haul because they're the ones that you build that continue to foster and build those relationships and that's what I that's what academic institutions need to commit to for example sometimes community academic institutions will rotate the faculty that are involved with courses and that has a huge impact for the community agencies because they're used to one faculty member so it doesn't do it university any good to rotate faculty in and out of programs. I mean, sometimes that happens, but it's more important to recognize the value and the need for that continued relationship with a faculty member in the community agencies. Yeah, I can see how important that would be. Um, You coordinate a fellowship for faculty and staff here at the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and the I was fortunate enough to join you in that fellowship. So uh, I'm excited to to ask you to describe it for us and describe what your goals are. Uh, you know why you designed it and and what what you're hoping to accomplish uh, by weaving this even more deeply into the fabric of the institution. I'm happy to talk about the UMB um, IPACE program, Interprofessional Program for Academic Community Engagement. 
And this program has been in the works for a while, and it's had a couple of iterations. And now we have a fellowship for faculty and staff and community members who want to participate in growing in their knowledge and application of community engagement. UMB has a really meaningful and valuable commitment to the community and also has a uh, a brick-and-mortar community engagement center. And that's an incredibly growing and valuable place for communities to come to the center to participate in a variety of types of programs that really fosters um, kind of community relationships, community needs being met in a variety of ways. The academic side of that, which is the program that I'm working within, is a way to foster faculty and staff and the university to grow in their scholarship around community engagement. And that scholarship means grants or endeavors that facilitate kind of how do we strengthen what I would call is the the pedagogy of community engagement. How do we strengthen um, staff who want to develop community projects and strengthen it with a lens of what does it mean to do effective engagement, the effective partnership. So there have been some faculty or staff that have been involved with the fellowship who have great ideas about community projects, and the fellowship facilitates those individuals to really refine how to do this in a partnership way. So, for example, one of the fellows last year really had this great idea and has a really wonderful passion about water safety for kids. So she has this great idea around improving water safety for kids in our communities, particularly in West Baltimore. But she did not have an understanding of what it meant to work in partnership with communities to make that happen. So through a variety of networks, she was able to start building that program. And the way it can be more effective and the way you can reach more people is if you know your networks within communities, rather than being an outsider coming in and bringing a great idea and a program into a community. Often what happens when when you have great ideas and you come into communities even to do health education programs, people don't show. But if you know how to work in partnership with people, you begin to build your network and people give you that inside perspective about what it takes to deliver your message in a way that's going to reach people in a way that's health literacy focused. So you have the right ways of communicating about it and you know where to deliver that program. And you don't know that unless you're working closely in partnership with people. And so that fellow from a year ago has now recruited a fellow for this new cohort, and they work together on doing this in a couple of schools, this water safety program. So the network builds. And that is, I think, one of the most valuable aspects of this fellowship as we grow this network of faculty and staff and community members within UMB and the second cohort connects to the first cohort, and we begin to establish a a, a group of faculty and staff within the university that is committed to this vision of effective community engagement um, in whatever areas they work within. And it's interprofessional, so we work with a variety of different schools, and we grow this um, group of people to 
kind of transform their own practice and how they do this work, but also transform the university. Ultimately, that they become champions in their own school and champions within UMB to do effective community engagement. It's so exciting to hear about the the continuity uh, among the cohorts in the program, building and growing uh, both as a fellowship and also people's individual projects uh, as they as they learn this, because like with service learning, it's not something that really can be mastered in the confines of a nine or 10 month fellowship. It's really a, a commitment um, that people are making to to adopting this framework of how to do our work. Very true. And because often um, this work can be very lonely, it's nice to have um, colleagues and other champions to connect with and then to kind of grow that vision within the university. Fortunately, at UMB, we have amazing leadership from the president, from the chancellor, from the provost, across um, many of the deans within our university who are really committed to our community engagement as a university. So we're really privileged in this university to be a part of a, a great vision. Uh, yet we still have a lot of inside university work to do to really allow the time and energy and effort to really commit to this work. And so the more we bring brilliant minds together to think about how to how to be a community-engaged university, the stronger we will be. And I think the fellowship provides that level of support to kind of bring bring the brilliance together to really make that happen and to create some institutional change around this. So we now have a database that we've adopted or purchased as a university, and we're integrating this database called Collaboratory. So we begin to capture courses and programs and projects that do community engagement work in this database. And the more we begin to use that, the more we can tell the story, how we as a university are are doing this engagement work. That's great. Well, that leads right into to my last question for us today. Um, so the that database is very exciting. Are, is there anything else, though, that is new on the horizon related to service learning, community engagement that excites you as an educator in this space? I think that I'm really excited that service learning and the concept of that is really growing. It's been around for a while, but I think it's growing. And I really love when people want to do service learning and want to know more about how to do this well. So there's often this sense that service learning means just doing service projects. And so I'm excited to have more people on board to know that service learning is a full pedagogy and, and how to do that more most effectively, including the main components of it, which includes the um, critical reflection aspect and also working in partnership. So I'm excited about that, and I believe this database provides opportunities for people to learn more about that. And so I think that's really big and in future on the horizon. And and then additional kind of strategies for future conferences that we're going to put on regarding this, um, growing our partnerships with um, other universities who are doing this work, I think is another um, exciting thing on the horizon, including College Park. So there's a lot more movement across the board in this area, and I'm excited that we can grow this at UMB and I can be a part of that process. 
It is so exciting. And uh, and we're so lucky at our institution to have you in this space uh, and your expertise and your, your commitment to it. And we're just all better for it. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today about these important approaches to education and community building. Well, thank you for this opportunity to really share a passion of mine that I've been involved with this work for a long time. I feel like I'm constantly growing. I think back on how I did this work 10 years ago and how I'm doing it today. And every day I feel humbled by the process and have a lot more to learn. It's a lifelong learning process for me as well. And I'm grateful for um, the opportunity to engage in this work with like-minded colleagues. Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Visit us at umaryland.edu slash FCTL to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. We'd love to hear from you.